0: El closet, destápate, quítate el esmalte. Deja de taparte, que nadie va a retratarte. Levántate, ponte hyper, prendete, saca de chispa al estalte. Prendete en fuego como un lighter Sacúdete el sudor como si fuera un hyper, que tú eres callejera. Este es fighter cambia esa cara de seria, esa cara de intelectual de enciclopedia, que te voy a inyectar con la bacteria que te vuelta como máquina de feria señorita intelectual ya sé que tiene el área abdominal que va a explotar como fiesta patronal que va a explotar como palestino yo sé que a ti te gusta el pop rock latino pero es que el reggaetón se te mete por los intestinos por debajo de la falda como un submarino y se saca lo de indio taíno ya tú sabes en taparrabos mamá en el nombre de Agüey
1: I get a buzz every time I hear that theme song. The most relevant entrance music for any professional wrestler. Oh, I guess I should say a trio. The most... Relevant theme song for the most relevant wrestlers today. For the most irrelevant talk show on podcast nation. This is Slam and Stan with Vandal Drummond. And are you out there, Alfredo? Oh, no, I'm gonna leave you now.
2: <laughs> oh man, ditched again. Uh, you know, I always try to figure out when to stop that song because I want to like pick it at a, perf- at a certain time and it's like it, I, I want to keep hearing it
1: <laughs> that song never gets old yeah. you could play that all day long I, in fact I gotta burn a copy and play it at work tomorrow there you go it's online it's on the I found it online pretty fast yes and, and for the many people who uh, have not listened to our previous shows that is the entrance music to La Pesta Negra the, Negra, the trio that consists Pesta. of Negro Casas his kid brother Felino, and Mr. Niebla. Without heavy metal. Without heavy metal, yes. Sin Cause metal. Because he sucks, and he's not allowed on the team. <laughs> right? is, that, is that the rule? Is that the, he has been banned. Been That's banned, what I understand. So I have it on no authority that Mean Gene Okerlund declared him banned, and when Mean Gene speaks, everybody listens. Kurt, Even though I, heard, I, I heard, this is what my sources told me, Heavy metal doesn't
2: sit at the big um the big people's um table. He sits with the kids. <laughs> that's what I heard. That's how bad it is now.
1: Oh dear. Oh dear. So
2: what do you well, want to talk You about know, here? that's something on, that we could probably devote a whole episode to pretty soon. On heavy metal, how bad he's gotten?
1: Well, if he doesn't sit at the big people's table and uh in the Casa family, you've gotta really feel like an outsider then. <laughs> most talented family in wrestling at one time, in my I opinion.
2: Think
1: he, I think he kind of got too many, he
2: like the drugs and then all the, and I think he kind of lost interest towards, I think. Yeah,
1: well, sadly, it's easy to lose uh, to lose passion in this business. Interesting, too, that uh, both Negro Casas and Felino you know, pretty much stuck with CMLL throughout all these years, and they still have it. Yeah, I think I think there
2: there's been like a lot of people like a lot of rumors that heavy metal might go back to um, AAA too.
1: So ah,
2: there's been some like conveys, but I don't, I don't I don't really know if he is it's so <laughs> well, bad.
1: We we have a lot of fascinating stuff to cover today. There is a birthday of a legend today.
2: Yeah, we, that that came up towards the very end, like what right when right when I had I think we talked earlier, and I think I went on the Observer website, and I saw Steve Sims' little note about Mil Mascaras celebrating his birthday today.
1: That's right. Today is the birthday of the Superman of wrestling, Mil Mascaras. On the Wrestling Observer website, they say he is 70 years old. Um, I met Mascaras once in 1982, uh, late in the year, and at the time, he claimed to be 45, so... That actually makes him 72. He could have been older when he told you that. That is possible. That I mean, is possible.
2: Said, if he told you he was 45, I mean, maybe he was 50 back then.
1: I met him. The occasion I met him is uh, uh, my friend Lloyd and I went with Tim Flowers to Tijuana. Uh, cause Tim was uh, wrestling in the third match there. And Flowers was also Moscarus's Moscarus ride to LAX that night.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And um, so we got to, you know... Enjoy a ride where Emil Moscaris was ribbing Tim Flowers the whole way, and uh, Tim Flowers tried to take the long way to LAX, and Moscarus never forgave him for that. And that, my friends, is a true story. But on that evening, he said he is 45, so take it from Vandal Drummond. He's 72 years old. And, and in fact, and- I've been so out of it these last few years... The last time I saw Mil Mascaris in action was when you and I saw Amfredo in the City of Industry versus Yeah. And that was, was it four years ago now? I think it was
2: four years ago. And that was a really bad match, a really bad match too. This is true. Actually, um, it followed a very good match, though. What's it that? Was, it followed a very good match with his Ooh. younger brother, though.
1: The Dos cars versus yeah, Blue, Blue Panther. Panther. Yeah, That was, that a, was a great match. Um, which leads me to ask, have there been any recent Mil Mascara sightings? I am totally ignorant to how active he is these days, well, what the story is. The, the last
2: year, there's been a lot of um, reunion shows in Mexico. So he's been doing a lot of the UWE shows, and I think he does a lot of indie shows towards... What? Uh, he did a Perils del Maz show, too, I think. And he, I think he walked out on one of their shows... <laughs> Was, I think he was. Oh. He was was going to. I don't know if he was going to lose. Or. Perosel Malat. Yeah, and he or he was in the. I think he was scheduled to be in the semi-main event, and he didn't. <laughs> it's Mil Mascaris, so he didn't
1: really. That that probably like did that. not please him at all. Yeah. You know, I'll I'll say I'll make a lot of jokes about Mil Moscarus, as many people will about his ego, his you know reluctance to do jobs. Uh, there's a lot of things we can say about Moscarus, but. It did astound me a few years ago to see what shape he was in his late sixties. Yeah, I mean it, that that show
2: that we went to where he looked he looked in good shape so
1: Yeah, it's impressive. Even for an old guy. I know, even if you're juggling pharmaceuticals, that's he looked impressive and I'm curious if much has changed four years later or if he's still got it. Was that the show that wife theater was at? Was
2: it? I think it was because I think I remember. Um, I can't remember. Bar- Bart was the one that introduced Beater to us, but the guy just like walked towards us like with his dazed look. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, oh that, might have, that
1: might that yeah. might have been that
2: show. I think that was the show because they. I mean, Bart shows used to be really stacked in the like four years ago. And now and that's God, they, true.
1: No, those were some really packed shows and. Nice.
2: Uh, it's amazing how weak they've gotten lately. Not the shows, but the the talent level. Like the yeah,
1: it's changed. A, you know, a lot changes on the indie yeah. scene. I, I would actually recommend people if you can find a copy of on DVD of that uh, match between Dos Caras and Blue Panther. Really good. Beautiful match. technical hold for hold match and. The uh, Blue Panther was moved, uh, very moved by how responsive the crowd was because it was a primarily Gringo crowd, and they applauded every uh, great series of uh, hold for hold maneuvers they did, and started chanting Lucha Libre. And Blue Panther actually uh, thanked them after the match, got on the mic, and praised the uh, the crowd for understanding Lucha Libre.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, what, what well. Happened? When was the first time you saw Mil Mascaras
2: wrestle, or or you first heard of him?
1: First time I saw Mil Mascaras was in 1972. Uh, I didn't see him live, but he was a fixture here in Los Angeles. Uh, Obviously, Mexico was his launching pad to fame, but Los Angeles was the first territory where he got a push in America and was the, you know... That and his push in Houston, Texas under Paul Bosch was, you know, his first step to becoming an international star, probably, you know, the most renowned Lucha Libre star on an international level. Interestingly enough, the first match I ever saw him wrestle was. Wait, I take it back. Second match. I saw him wrestle a jobber on uh, Channel 34 on a Wednesday night, but. The following week, he had a Texas death match with Ernie Ladd, and most of the Friday night shows did not air on TV. This show they taped and showed several weeks later on TV. So my second Mil Mascaris match I saw was a Texas death match versus Ernie Ladd, and little did I know it at 10 years old, but I was watching a rare occasion – that occasion was Mil Moscaris doing a clean job. This was back in the day when a wow. Texas death match you not only had to pin your opponent, but the opponent had to be down for a 10 count afterwards. Yeah. So not only did Mil Moscaris get pinned in the end, but he couldn't get up for a 10 count. And at Nowadays, that time... He would, he I'm sorry? Do that now. He would never do that now. Oh, he would never do that. Now, I'm actually surprised he did it at the time after, you know, throughout the years you know, hearing stories about his refusal to do jobs. I I remember about five years ago hearing, you know, John Tolis talk about, you know, his humongous ego even back then when he was pretty new to the business. Uh the (laughs) the other thing I remember so well about that match is my hero at the time was a young Mexican rookie named Raul Mata who was a great babyface and an excellent worker, he did the run-in at the end of the match to save Moscarus. And back then, Ernie Ladd's foreign object was his taped thumb uh-huh. uh, that he would jab people in the throat with, and the wrestlers that he jabbed would then start spitting up blood. And uh, So when Raul Mata attacked him, he raked Raul Mata's eyes and then started jabbing him in the throat. And not only did Raul Mata do the spitting up of blood, but he did these great death spasms in the middle of the ring. And 10 years old, I was horrified. <laughs> and then another wrestler, Ruben Juarez, came in and took off his dress. She and started beating Lad over the head with it. And not only did Ernie Ladd gig for Ruben Juarez, who was probably about five foot four, <laughs> but... Uh, Ladd also did a gimmick where he had put an Alka-Seltzer tablet in his mouth so he'd start frothing oh, at the oh, mouth to make yeah. it look like he was on his deathbed.
2: Oh, God.
1: <laughs> that was the first year I was watching professional wrestling, and, oh, <laughs> L.A. wrestling was so great back then. It was so bloody and so kitschy. It, it was a sight to behold. Did, did you ever
2: see any of his movies, the Neil movies? Did you ever like?
1: The one movie I saw was, uh, wait, there are two movies I saw. Yeah, of course, the famous Momias de Guanajuato*. Uh-huh. Have you seen that one? You know what? I've seen like all uh, practically all those movies that they end up being the
2: same thing over and over. <laughs> like you know, you just don't remember them. It's like.
1: But there's I'm one scared. movie that stands out, I that and. I I was little. There's one movie that does stand out in my mind. Uh-huh. It's the Champions of Justice. Yeah. You know why that movie stands out in my mind? Why? Mil gets his ass kicked by a band of midgets. Oh god. See he sold for
2: midgets, look at that.
1: Yes, little masked midgets from another planet, if I remember correctly. They beat the hell out of Mil Moscaris. It's a sight to behold. You know,
2: that that's the thing, like I remember when I when I first saw Mil Moscara it was it, it was actually the movies. And I never remember I don't I don't think he I ever saw him wrestle in Mexico early in his career. Like when I first started watching it. I don't remember uh, Mil Moscow's match from Mexico. I I'm trying
1: I... to remember the first time I actually saw him wrestle a straight lucha style match because the in first the seven or eight years I saw him, he was making appearances in Los Angeles wrestling the American heels. Yeah, because I, I think I think the first time I saw him was like on World Class,
2: or because or, or,
1: I think he did a mid Health appearance too, though. But I, I yeah, he made he made quite a few appearances in the various Texas promotions. Yeah. He but made I mean, that famous appearance in WCW against a very young Mick Foley. Yeah, because I remember when I when I saw him world-class, I was like, who's this guy? And they're like,
2: oh, he's Mexican so. <laughs> Like, he never does in on He's not in Lucha in Mexico City or in de City. In City and all stuff. <laughs> like, that's, he's not a Dinamita or anything, you know? Who's this guy?
1: You can I mean, say that like, a, again. I, yeah, I agree like, with loose. you on that. So, yeah, like I said, I'll make a lot of cracks about him, but, I mean, he has done very well for himself. Okay. You know, I I think his brother, Dos Caras, is definitely the superior worker of the yeah, two. Yeah, he blows good. them away.
2: His, his
1: brother, oh, totally.
2: His brother blows them away. Like, if you're going to go to a match, a wrestling
1: show and they're both there,
2: you better hope Dos Caras
1: is in front of the match, you know. Well, I remember Superboy uh, did a tour of Mitsunoku in, I think it was 1995, when they did their annual mask tournament. Uh-huh. And Dos Caras was on that tour. And Superboy couldn't say enough nice things about Dos Caras. Uh, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is he said there were, you know, that was when a lot of younger wrestlers were doing all these innovative high spots that you had never seen before. Now, if you took a wrestler like Mil Máscaras, he would just ignore those high spots and say we're wrestling the match my way. But Dos Caras actually would talk to the younger wrestlers and say that's a high spot I've never seen or never done. Wow. Will you will you he he'd ask he'd ask things like how do you want me to catch you for this move or you know you know how do you want to do the timing on this? He was actually you know kind of putting his his ego on the back burner and in his 50s, I think he was like 54 at the time. He was old. sitting he there, you know, going old. along with the young innovators and we won't even discuss Psychodelico. <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> he's like Oh he's like Lord. Heavy metal. He's pretty much no longer. That, I was him. about to. I was about to say. Talk about the person that, that doesn't eat at the, the big people's table. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh my Psychedelico. Lord! Psychodelico has one of the coolest looking masks I've ever seen, but is also one what of the he... worst wrestlers I have ever seen. Did, did you Did you hear
2: about um? son? son? is that um? He's in. He's working in Florida right now.
1: So he is there.
2: Yeah, and apparently. It, when um, Dusty Dusty does the announcing, so Dusty started marking out over the mask. Oh, like, that's... <laughs> How, how's he supposed to wrestle? He's going to get dizzy looking at that mask. He's going he's gonna to get, he's gonna get uh, you know, distracted and all this stuff.
1: But, the uh, older I get, the more I love
2: Dusty Rhodes. You know, that, that was the best thing about WCW Saturday Night, the last couple of years? Yes. We do the announcing, and then they switched over to Mike Tenay and um, who's that, that bald guy on? Um, Scott Hudson, or I think it was Scott Hudson, wasn't it? Oh, the Hudson brothers, something like that. Yeah, Scott Hudson. And, um, <laughs> the the show—you just lost a lot of that—that because that, he was so big on Lute, like you wouldn't expect Dusty to mark out for Lucha Libre, you know? You'd be oh. like, oh, he. In
1: fact, this is a great way to segue into our next subject. Is what made me a permanent Dusty fan was I heard when Dusty Rhodes saw. A AAA show a, number, a couple of years back, and I I can't remember the occasion, but he was at a live show, and when he saw Pimpinela Escarlata, apparently he went nuts and said, Oh my God, I wish we had this guy back in the Florida days. I would have put this guy over like crazy. And that's why I said, Dusty is cool. Well, he had Adrian Street, so... He had Adrian Street, but Adrian Street is not Timpanela Escarlata. Escarlata makes Adrian Street look like nothing, and that is with all due respect to Adrian Street.
2: Yeah, and Adrian Street, we, we're big fans too.
1: Yes, we're big fans of Adrian Street, but Timpanela is the king of exoticos, or the queen of exoticos, as I am certain he would prefer, which is... What I mean by segueing is, what is the coolest thing, Alfredo, that is happening in AAA today? It's Fabio Apache
2: giving out relationship advice, or Everetti and, Ever and Pimpinella.
1: And this last episode of AAA TV, Pimpinella, who is crazy about Gato Everetti, isn't she telling him to play hard to get now? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> It's, uh, but you know, it just,
2: it's just going to keep adding to that story more and more, and we're pretty much going to, we don't know where that's going to lead with Conan
1: and all them handling the... And I will be watching every week with bated breath to see where this goes. I love this plot, a transvestite in love with, a, uh, with the ever-ready cat. That is sweet. Hey, Kurt, I got breaking news. What's that?
2: It's breaking news that I don't think half the people will care about. But apparently, my package from Mexico has been shipped. Triple Mania is on its way.
1: Oh my gosh! So we'll finally get to see it. Yeah, we—you won't have to sit through YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> That's but the way I'm watching most of my Lucha Libre
2: these days. But it's kind of hard. I, it's kind of hard watching it on YouTube because you're—you you're, kind of—you have to go back if you want to fast-forward through it, you have to, like, go through the whole thing, go back, go, you have to wait till it loads or whatever, I don't know.
1: I am teaching myself patience, because there are some really good lucha these days, and, of course, we always joke about how much I'm praising Negro Casas, but he is the guy to watch these days. Yeah. So I do, however, uh-huh. I have a, a link that it? I have not watched yet, but got to give a shout-out to Odessa Steps, Mark Cole... And uh, from the figure four wrestling board, Alan 4L, who hooked him up. Hey, Kurt, I got another more breaking news. Oh, dear, more breaking news before I finish the shout-out? Steve Sims is disagreeing
2: with you. What is he disagreeing with you? How dare he? He he is not 72 years old. He is 70. Let me check. He sent me an email.
1: Tell him that I met Mil Mostert in 1982. I think
2: this is the most emails I've ever gotten. Mil oh, on, is the most egotistical
1: Twitter. motherfucker I have ever... No, he's not the most egotistical motherfucker I've ever met. Oh, Mil but even he said he was 45 back then. <laughs> Who is he lying to, me or Steve Sims? So is he saying he's younger? <laughs> yes! You mean, he's saying you he's mean, two years younger.
2: No, I mean... You mean to tell me Mil Moscarus lied to you and, and was saying he was older? No,
1: he didn't like me. I could tell he didn't like me. He, oh. Mil likes Mil <laughs> And nobody else. (laughs) The sense
2: that. Oh, he sent you the email, too, if you wanted to know.
1: Okay, well, I'll have to to go to my email. But the reason I want to give that shout-out to Marco and um, Alan4L is because they sent the link, a link, to to a match where Uh Stalker Stalker Ichikawa emerged the victor. Yeah. What was it? Who did he beat? You know, I, <laughs> let me check. This, this show, to. you know, this show is turning to us reading our emails. I'm. Well, you
2: I, know, I've never. The, you know, I think this is part of the whole uh, podcasting thing. People send you emails. It's like a radio show now.
1: It's beautiful. I love it. Okay, here's the email that Mark Cole sent me. Stalker famously won a match in 2000 when he teamed with Taru versus M2K on the end year-end Toramon show. He says that it's one of his two favorite matches of that year, along with the Benoit-Regal match from the Pillman Memorial Show. Yeah, I remember. So, I have not watched the Stalker-Ichikawa match. But since, but, but since Benoit, ever since Benoit did what he did, we
2: can't, he, his matches are no longer a part of our history. Yeah, I still cannot watch.
1: I still cannot watch a Benoit match.
2: I mean, it's it's hard to, like, just going through that stuff, but... So, so did he did he send you the link to the, the match and everything? Did you watch it finally?
1: Uh, yes, I haven't watched it yet. I have oh. not had time to watch it yet. I, I have had a very busy week. Believe it or not, as hot as it is over here in know, Southern yeah. California, I've been going running every night. When I say night, the sun's still up, so... I have to lather myself with sun lotion. It is <laughs> fucking hot over here. Enough already. We don't want to have this image. Anymore. Lathering myself up with lotion so I'm nicely lubricated. No more. Leave. Can't you just env- envision hey, Kurt, me putting hey, my, hey, my hey, arms around Pimpinela Escarlata? Hey Kurt, save this for the Brian Alvarez. <laughs> <For daily Kurt. laughs> oh, we're yeah, we're I'm, I'm trying to create a picture of. If I get Elena in on it. Um, It'll oh, be a true lucky Pierre moment. Just picture it me, Elena, and Pimpinella Escarlata in the same bed together.
2: Oh, God. I don't
1: want to picture it. I don't think Elena
2: wants to picture it either.
1: <laughs>
2: you, she, you just frightened her.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Okay, now Steve, Steve Sims is saying that I was in Japan in 1983, not 1982. So, he, he's saying I'm demented. No, Steve Sims. Steve Sims, I was in Japan in 1990. In 1982, I was in Tijuana when it was relatively uh, safe.
2: <laughs> you saying you're nuts? I think I believe him. I think I believe Steve.
1: Okay, I'll accept I that. Really I think you probably forgot. Okay, what I'm okay. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to tap out to Steve Sims. He is Doctor Lucha. He knows more than I do.
2: I think I think he even knows more about you than you know, because I mean he can find out enough
1: about you to figure it out. That's a spooky thought, but it's probably <laughs> true. It might be it's true. It's probably but... very true. You know, since, since Steve Sims is listening right now, then I have to just dive into the movie that uh, has, has just captured my cult movie and imagination over the last ten years. Nice. You know, Fredo, you and I have talked about this great uh, video company called uh, Five Minutes to Live Video that has all this great, you know... The the website I'm not
2: allowed to visit during the podcast.
1: (laughs) That's right, because we get too caught up in it. Yeah, we get distracted. when you think of the king, the king of um, cult video movies, there is a, a video company up in Washington called Something Weird Video. Uh They have a website, somethingweird.com. And of all the movies that I have got from them on DVD, my two favorites are Confessions of a Psycho Cat and a movie that takes place in Steve Simms' home state, Georgia. And that movie stars Ferlin Husky, the great country western star, who I am happy to say is out of the hospital and recovering after some heart problems. And it also uh, stars a young woman named Simone Griffith. The movie Swamp Girl takes place in the lovely Okefenokee Swamps of Georgia. Now, Steve Sims, I want you to email me and tell me, have you ever toured the Okefenokee Swamps? <laughs> Are they as exotic and exciting as the trailers of Swamp Girl claims it is? Swamp Girl is just one of the movies that makes something weird video the the splendid catalog of cult videos that it is. Ferlin Husky stars as a swamp ranger, a swamp ranger whose name is Jimmy Walker. This exactly. was a few years before Good Times, so this he does not before. utter the the phrase dynamite or anything uh, like that. But it's about this, you know, the, the Boy, I'm doing brilliantly, aren't I? <laughs> hey, you wanted to see your movie i start talking least... cult movies, I get tongue-tied. It's, it's the cult movies. I blame you and the cult movies. Yes, yes. Thoughts? Well, this, it, it's about a young girl named Janine who is this mythic swamp girl who lives in the Okefenokee swamps. And for years, everybody wonders, does she exist or doesn't she? And the highlight of this movie is Ferlin Husky sitting late at night outside his house singing the song of the swamp girl that goes have you heard the song the home folks sing who live near Waycross town you know the song Fredo sing a willow the wisp, she no. lives in the swamp where people think, die and I drown I don't, I don't think our listeners want to hear me singing I know they don't they don't want to hear me singing either but they're <laughs> going to oh this is an awesome It goes swamp girl ghost girl hostile night in the swamp far gleam, in the cypress stream, in the secret glow of the moonshine whiskey still. This you is know a beach. Fiction... Do one day.
2: What's we need that? To have like a karaoke special and have all the like Dan Farr and Johnny Legend call in. Oh, that would be sweet. That would Johnny be Johnny Legend sweet. doing his, uh, his, his rockabilly. I would
1: love to hear uh, Johnny Legend do a cover of the song Swamp Girl. Oh. In fact, it, the best way I can describe this song, I mean this movie is this seems like the type of movie that Quentin Tarantino would go so crazy over, he'd make a he'd remake of it. Do,
2: he'd do it's a, remake. a
1: beautiful, beautiful movie. And if the name Simone Griffith rings a bell with anybody, you might remember her as the late David Carradine Squeeze in Death Race 2000, wow. another great cult film. Yeah. Okay. Well, since I <laughs> tend to butcher butcher my reviews these days, since I am right. so ill prepared to talk about them, we'll go right back to Lucha Libre. Yeah,
2: we were we were really into Lucha Libre, and you just took it to the the movie thing really too soon, you know.
1: I couldn't help it because Steve Sims keeps emailing us, and I keep thinking of oh oh oh. He's he's been, he's he emailed me, me again. Okie Swamp. Okay, he says. I asked if he had been there, if he had toured the Okefenokee Swamp, and he responds, yes, absolutely, more than once, because his mom's family is from southeast Georgia. He says, it's a weird ecosystem unto itself, lots of water snakes, poisonous, and crocodiles, or alligators, or whichever the ones that live near Waycross town, and he says, Lefty Frizzell's long black veil is even better than Swamp Girl. Oh God! See, Steve Sims is just adding more to
2: this. I, th- I think, I think, I think soon people are going to realize we're not going to be talking as much lucha.
1: <laughs> this is true, Steve Sims. You rule. You yeah. rule, he, Steve, he, Sims.
2: Steve Sims. They're awesome. ruining our lucha show. He's making it a, a movie show now.
1: He's not. You, listen, he hasn't even called in, and he is already he's, upstaging us. I he's know, kicking he's our him ass him on show. our
2: own show. We still. You know what we should do? We should have, ask, him, ask him if he'll email us and, and, and tell us if those two women that supposedly killed the Minis were actually men, like we said last week.
1: <laughs> oh, that's the other thing that has been newsworthy for several weeks. Yeah, is... I, I guess the video
2: came out on GalaVision. I think they, they started airing it, like some sort of video or whatever.
1: The video. Okay, is this the yeah, video you know, that disappeared, the surveillance video that was in the hotel?
2: Yeah, apparently it it's on it, it appeared on television. I have no idea if it's has or hasn't. But I What's it alleged it.
1: to? Uh, it shows them
2: arriving with the two guys with the two I mean the Oh
1: two,
2: dear! The two vertically challenged russians.
1: <laughs>
0: because
2: I I don't want to cause trouble. And um, but apparently, when I was reading um, the Observer, so I'm guessing Steve Sims is the one that <laughs> found out that it might be men. It might have been men and, in drag, so.
1: Weren't either you or Steve Sims joking about that last yeah, week? Yeah, I was they joking could about be men? that.
2: Last, I was joking about that last week, so that's that's why I I, I kind of wonder if it's really it's already finally been realized. Because if it, if it was that, maybe they won't ever
1: find them too. So interesting. This story just get, and again, I hate to make light of it, but this story is fascinating.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it just it just keeps getting weirder as uh, every every single new update on it. It just keeps getting stranger.
1: And, and it seems like every year I find myself saying, I've heard the strangest pro wrestling story I've ever heard, and I keep being proven wrong. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people would,
2: you know, they probably think, no, that's, that didn't happen. That's not possible. It would only happen in the, in the movies. But I mean, <laughs> it's Mexico. You never know when... when yes, it's and happening. it's wrestling. Yeah. But you have so many things, so many, like, there's so much crime in Mexico right now that... Them trying to find a way to make money, like, <laughs> you know. Yes, it's, this is true. I'm not sure it happens here too, but <laughs> so it, it'll just shock us here too. But it's 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 more shocking the first time you hear about it. Yes, yes. You know what? I wanted to ask you about last time, the very first show we did, Misawa. We, it was with the announcement that Misawa had passed away. Yeah, uh, you want, you wanted to talk about um, some of his more famous opponents. And we, and we were talking about um, the Lucha guys, like La Fiera, Fira,
1: Yes. Organ and
2: Jerry Stata. Well, it's
1: funny because Ma, um, Misawa obviously is going to be remembered for being Misawa. Yeah. But one of the things that I hate to, to overshadow his legacy as Mitsuhara Misawa is his legacy as Tiger Mask. And being a Lucha Libre fan, the reason that's such a big deal to me is he worked so well with the Mexican wrestlers, with La Fiera, Jerry Estrada, um, Perata Morgan. Uh And I remember the first Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, they uh, brought in a lot of guys like Solar, uh, Abdullah Tamba, Uh uh, several guys from Mexico to work with Sayama, And what I disliked about Sayama was he didn't seem keen to work their style. Actually, I shouldn't say I didn't like that. It's just the way he worked. Yeah. But Masawa, uh, it blew me away because here he was working their style to the fullest, locking up to the right, working to the right. Uh, And... You even see wrestlers who go to Mexico and don't want to work their styles. I mean, one of the things I loved about Owen Hart is when I saw those matches he wrestled in UWA, is he was one of the few guys who worked hard to adapt you know, to Lucha Libre style. Mm-hmm. And that is not an easy style to adapt to. I mean, today, styles seem a lot more hybrid and yeah, it's, you it's know, interloping close. than they used to be.
2: Yeah.
1: But back then, there was a lot of stubbornness I I remember, you know, know, talking to people who worked Mexican style back then. Um, Specifically, I I remember Conan, when he was first breaking into the American market, he would say sometimes he would, you know, meet American wrestlers for the first time, and when he said, I've worked Mexico, they'd just kind of politely nod, like, oh yeah, that shit, you know, that Mexican shit. So there was a real stigma about Mexican style, you know, before, you know, folks like... You know Eddie Guerrero, okay. you know, and Rey Mysterio Jr. were around. Uh, the funniest thing—I'm not making this up—several wrestlers told me you shouldn't watch Mexican wrestling. I would ask them why. They say, "Well, you know, it's all fake, don't you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like the real pro wrestling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, 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 where
2: guys, where you could actually see the guy. Where the what was what was the big move in the '80s? The rake to the back. <laughs> The Hogan right to the back, everybody always did that. It was like,
1: that was real. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, there's all this very realistic stuff I used to see in American wrestling, like when there was a tag team match, and they would throw the wrestlers into each other, the heels into each other, but their arms would interlock, causing them to spin into circles and (laughs) run back into the babyfaces. But but
2: you you know, the thing I remember, the the good thing about All Japan is they, they pretty much filmed everything. And they stuff.
1: saved everything. Not yeah. only did they yeah. film everything, they saved it all. They have a library there in yeah. Japan.
2: You probably you, except the you know the house shows and stuff. But they have enough where you can actually see what they did. And I mean, you have um, La Fiera. you have all those, all three of those guys who worked with Misawa, and you see what they were like. And I remember, like in the '80s, those were like the three guys that everybody wanted to be like. You know, when when you would watch lucha. It's, it's,
1: it's, yes, like, so, I. Like, Because I remember, I remember uh, seeing those matches for the, you know, shortly after they aired uh, back when I was trading tapes like a madman. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, hearing there was a second Tiger Mask and my, you know, first thought was, yeah, there's only one Tiger Mask, Sayama Rocks. And when I saw him, I think the first one I saw him work with was La Fiera and that blew me away. Yeah, And I think it. I, you know, my timeline is not is a little vague here, but I think it was several months later I saw the tape of some wrestling Parata Morgan, and that was like the icing on the cake. Uh, and, I mean, he just... And,
2: and, and the matches were really
1: good. I mean, it
2: wasn't like, oh, David. You know, like, they like to do a lot of exhibition type of... Like, nowadays, if you take a Mexican to uh, to New, to Japan or, or somewhere, they, they'll, they'll bring in another Mexican to compete with to wrestle him, and this usually ends up being a, an exhibition
1: type of match. Yeah. It's, and I mean that—that's that's, that's, that's great, the mark of a thorough wrestler. Is Masawa could work with the luchadores, and he could work with the Japanese too. I, I mean, I, I guess he really liked that style too, because he—I think he—he he
2: had mentioned how much he really liked certain wrestlers, and and he always brought up—I um, can't remember somebody from Mexico that he brought up as being one of the best workers he had ever faced.
1: Really? Yeah, I, I can't remember which one. I, I my mind. Yeah, on. he he. It's so funny. You forget how good a worker somebody is until something happens where they either retire or pass away. And I was really bummed when I heard about Masawa's passing. Very shocked. I mean, that was one of those ones I did not see coming. Yeah. But um,
2: what I was going to talk about, of the three, who do you think was the better worker at the time?
1: Of uh, Parata Morgan, Jerry yeah, Estrada,
2: three. and La Fiera. I kind of remember those were the, like, the three guys that I just... I just thought were like really good at that
1: at that time. in my book in my book, Parata Morgan smokes all three of them, and that's yeah. no disrespect to La Fiera or Jerry Estrada, but Parata Morgan was in my mind, one of the most perfect luchadores ever
2: yeah
1: i even when he was uh, going through a lot of substance abuse problems, he was flawless in the ring. I saw a match where he wrestled Solar at the Olympic Auditorium in 1987, and at this time, uh, Channel 34 was airing the matches, and they would, I think, film every other show. They did not have cameras at this show, and it was a shame, because this was when Solar held a version of, I think it was the welterweight championship, and... For those of you who used to watch classic lucha, whenever a, a rudo or a heel would wrestle for a championship, the championship match he would wrestle queen. It would be a, you know, a strictly tech, technical match. And he and Solar had one of the most perfect matches I ever saw. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not one of these types who sits there and bitches if somebody botches a spot or if something goes wrong. I think people make way too big a deal out of that. But uh, Physical and I saw that match and were just in awe. It was flawless. Not one move was out of place. The timing was perfect. On top of that, Perata Morgan, I thought, was an awesome heel. He just had a natural heel charisma to him. He he was Uh, Yet he, he, he you
2: know you know the great thing about him was that he actually looked like a pirate. You know you it wasn't like <laughs> it, it was and it, and it wasn't like a like a goofy pirate. You know when when you think pirate you think oh he's either going to look go- really goofy or he's not really going to be into it and he's going to try to make it look you know like really stupid. But he, he, like he was the epitome of a silent movie pirate. He just looked like a badass guy, you know, like you knew he was scary. And you know I remember the first time I saw him I was like what's with the eye You know I thought okay, he's a pirate. And you know I think a couple of weeks after I had seen him Russell, they did an interview with him, and that's I think that's I think it's a it's an interview that's that's been shown over it's, it's actually on it's been recorded, and and he removed the eye patch to show everybody that he has a he actually is miss, he's got you know he's missing his eye or whatever you know. Yeah,
1: he lost the eye on a tope. I don't know what year it was. That's another thing Steve Sims uh, might know. In fact, I'm almost certain he knows it, but he, he yeah. was doing a tope and there was a chair that had a nail sticking out and it wrecked his eye. Wow. Uh he oh he Pirata Morgan was just a great okay. worker. It was hard recently seeing him in Triple I I don't fault oh, yeah. him for this. You you did see him recently?
2: 'Cause he, yes. he really got he he got really fat like the last couple of
1: years. Yeah. And I don't fault him for it. He worked hard for what he got. If he can earn a living, I don't care if he just gets in the ring and stands there. He's earned his money. I don't care if he just floats on his laurels. He worked hard. Um, I had, I remember when he worked the um, tapings in San Bernardino when Red Bastine had the win promotion going back in 1989. And I remember he wrestled a really short match with a local boy named Ho- Apollo Jalisco. And again, a short but flawless match. And everybody I knew at the show said it was amazing he he did such a perfect match because apparently he was high as a kite. Uh-huh. And well, there was another you, evening you that know, same...
2: You know, back, back then, there were so many luchadors who were... High as kites that were great workers.
1: It's yeah, but there's anything. some. But there are some people who you can tell they're high as a kite. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, like Espanto um, what was it, Espanto Jr.? Wasn't he always, like, high?
1: I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, he might even have been, but I haven't heard any
2: yeah.
1: Any anecdotes. But uh, I, re- I remember uh, there was another show at San Bernardino, I think it was that same week. I was not there, but apparently he was um, really wasted – and he was in a six-man with the Guerreros, and I don't know which Guerrero it was, but one of them thought it would be funny to play with Pirata's eye patch. Wow. And apparent, apparently Pirata did not take kindly to it. <laughs> because, <laughs> yes, and apparently, uh, and the Guerreros, Hector Chavo and Mato Guerrero are, are tough cookies, and apparently uh, after he responded to their humor, uh, they didn't mess with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um and oh, oh, oh! And, and by the way, Steve Sims further[s] that the Minis killers were not yeah, men. Like, they were not men. They, they were, were not zombies. women either. They were zombies. Did you see the pictures? They probably were.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Looking at those pictures, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with him being that they were zombies. See, there is a reason. There's a reason I'm scared of the zombies. They are real. Yeah. He also furthers we, that... We just realized, we
2: just found out, breaking news, Steve Sims is going to Comic-Con. He is going to oh, Comic-Con, and
1: Mark Cole oh. will be at Comic-Con?
2: No, he's not going. Mark Cole is, so I don't know if Steve Sims is going. Well, Steve, you should go. We should, we, should do a, we should do a special discussing
1: Steve Sims. Yeah, we should have – every episode will be a Steve Sims episode. I do want to point out that at Comic-Con every year, my good friend Eric Caden of Hollywood Book and Poster has a booth at Comic-Con. And Eric Caden has some bitchin' wrestling material there. He has a lot of old Olympic auditorium programs from the early 70s. So if you're into collecting that sort of paraphernalia – he's the guy to go to.
0: Uh
1: we get another email from Steve Sims. This guy mm-hmm. rocks and he points out where Jose lives. It is already the seventeenth, so Jose Fernandez, the uh one of the yeah, coolest wrestling fans in the history of the business, and one of the co founders of the term Guajarzian. Happy birthday.
2: Oh, it's his birthday?
1: Yes. Wow. Is, I is, did not he, know that until Doctor Lucci told me. Is, is he seventy-two years old too? <laughs> I believe he is. Yes, yeah. I have it old. on absolutely no authority that Jose Fernandez is in fact seventy-two. He ages much better than Emil Moscoso does. He looks about twenty-five or so. <laughs> you know that's he, somebody we haven't heard from a lot on the internet. I think that's he just, true. That's true. That that lucky bastard is traveling the whole world.
2: I think he You'd, gave up on the on, on the internet and decided not to get involved with message boards.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh God, and I have to sing the next the next verse to the song. Are you made of shadow, sun or smoke? Is the song the summer wind? Do you only live in the burning minds of some dying swamp madmen? Or can it be that you are real? The stories they are true. Okay, and this next line you have to speak it, not sing it. Kurt, Kurt, wait. out in that deep and mysterious swamp,
0: there's oh, a Kurt. creature sweet as you. not waste
1: voice. What's Don't that? Waste your voice. You gotta save it for our karaoke special. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I know. I'm wasting. I'm wasting a terrible voice here. We're out, we already have
2: planned our next couple of ep- episodes. I know. The Where's Dr. Lucha episode, and. Um, and I'm totally butchering this episode. And the uh, Jose Fernandez,
1: where is he now? Episode. <laughs> That's true. And, and I keep hoping Jose episode. Fernandez will come to Los Angeles soon. Oh, you think he would? He keeps telling us, telling me he will. And we'll just miss him. <laughs> we'll be- yeah. Well, once we once we get a handful of listeners here, and uh, you know, get our shit together, uh, formatting this thing, you know, we got to have some sort of get together in Southern California. And do the podcast amongst everybody that would be awesome <laughs> we will have to do it on the steps of of the uh i'm blanking on the name oh the sportsman's lodge in studio city california where they used to have the cauliflower alley club but
2: well, you know we could actually do it i, I mean because you could get i think five or six people on the on the line and we could just each one of us have a phone and talk to each (laughs) other through the phone. You have Dr. Lucha, maybe get Bob Barnett over so we could have a little controversy.
1: It would be great. We would all talk over each other. It would be the most glorious clusterfuck in the history of podcasting. I say we do it. And then we need to add Dave Meltzer
2: just so he could talk over all of (laughs) (laughs) us. And I totally ignore us. And then have
1: Brian Alvarez yelling at everybody like, shut up. I love – that's the highlight of hearing Wrestling Observer Radio is hearing Dave talk part. over people and not realize it and then having Brian Alvarez yell at them. I love it. Yeah, like Brian Alvarez, caller, hold on
2: just a minute.
1: <laughs> I was listening
2: to the show earlier today and they had callers. And um, the, I guess – what time is their show? What time do they record their show? Like at 1230 at night or something? It's late, yeah. Yeah, and, and there was people calling in. <laughs> And the people said there was this one guy who sounded really disappointed that um that um superstar Billy Graham was selling his um his Hall of Fame rings on eBay? And this is like, wrestling. This is yeah, wrestling. So you bore everything you have. The guy, but the guy sounded really disappointed and he's like he's like, What's going on? Are you gonna tell me that all these all these wrestlers, these old wrestlers are, are, are poor? <laughs> and they are like, yeah, pretty much <laughs> And then they just start bringing up like certain wrestlers. Like he starts mentioning wrestlers, and and he's like, and, and the guy's just like
1: really disappointed. You know Actually, I, mean, I shouldn't make fun of him because I remember there was a time when I had this big grand illusion as a child of how great the life of a wrestler was, and how disillusioning it was when I found out it was so not true. But the, my favorite story, though, is in fact Steve Sims remembers this the night. Uh, Physico and I took Steve Sims to meet Dr. Jerry Graham. Uh-huh. Uh, we're chatting it up, and uh, Steve just flat out asks Dr. Graham, um, "So, are there any wrestlers out there who are faithful to their wives?" And not even a second passes where Dr. Graham just shakes his head and says, "Nah, they're all whoremongers." <laughs> and uh, I can't remember which one have said, "Oh, come on, there's got to be an exception to the rule somewhere." And he just shook his head. Whoremongers, wrestlers are whores. I'm telling you. <laughs> but it, it it just cracked me up because I remember
2: um the you know pretty much Fabe is dead. It's been dead for a long time. Yes. But um when, when 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 Fox Sports was airing the lucha those little segments where they would go and spend time at a wrestler's house and then they go inside the wrestler's house and it's like oh my god these guys live in like the worst places possible and then you ha- they're not just like the the bottom of the bottom the lower tier guys but like the the mid card, the main event guys, they all live like in apartments and you're like, oh my God, these guys are really poor.
1: Yes, (laughs) and of all places to do that on television where you want to keep the mystique a little bit alive.
2: You know, but I gotta I gotta say one thing though. They did they did bring back the fanny pack. You know, I'm sorry? The the fanny pack? (laughs) That's true. Did you watch I can't remember which wrestler it was, but when they local were showing it on Fox Sports, yeah, Local Max, Local, local Max.
1: Max, that's right. They showed him in his hellhole of a house, but he had a very nice fanny pack.
2: Yeah, and and he had his son. He, his son had a matching fanny pack with him too.
1: As, oh Lord, and showed, oh Lord.
2: They each opened their fanny pack to show us what they had in inside, and 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 Local Max had you know his wallet, his money, and and you know his knife. <laughs> And, and his little son has like action figures <laughs> I was just cracking up I was like oh my god but you see their house and it's like oh my god it's, it's like it's like dude I mean why, why and you really want to become a wrestler and go through that you know and follow in your father's footsteps yes but, you know the sad like when I I think the good thing for me was when I started going to shows I was already like a little more knowledgeable so like when I saw you getting like you wouldn't get paid or something <laughs>
1: when you were, it, was like, it wasn't that shocking. Was my very first lame. match, my very first match in 1983, I did for free. No, uh-huh. uh, it was a 10-minute draw, and I wrestled for the same promoter two weeks later. And if I recall, uh, 15 bucks. My payoff was 15 bucks, okay. and good. that's not bad. I've that's, 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 well. That was Southern California right? fans right, me, might remember back in the 90s, there was a local gym called Slammers that was run <laughs> by a guy named Vern Langdon. You're already chuckling, so I know you've heard yeah. stories. I've heard, I've heard, and I've actually, I,
2: I remember their, their, I think their website was one of the first places I found online.
1: For yes. So
2: they they I, were once the first.
1: I don't know about the last few years they were in business, but... Okay. Uh, both Dan Farron and I uh, were around Slammers a lot when the first few years they started. And not only did they not pay people to wrestle on their shows, people had to pay to wrestle on their shows. Oh, God. It, yes, it's the only <laughs> place I ever saw where heard, they charged people to wrestle on their shows.
2: Heard, don't bring that up for Paco Alonso or uh, the AAA guy. They'll, Paco Alonso <laughs> will find a way to do that. For, for the undercard guys that paid to work a show.
1: Yeah, well, in fact, for a short time I had, when I was wrestling the local lucha scene, I had the nickname The Cherry Buster because I wrestled a lot of guys in their professional debut. And a lot of these guys were guys who were wrestling at Slammers, paying to wrestle on the shows. Uh And I said, you know, you shouldn't have to pay money uh, to wrestle you're not going to like make so much money wrestling on these lucha shows, but at least you'll get a little gas money or something. And so I usually <laughs> was the gringo who wrestled them in their debuts. Did you see the
2: light turn on when they when you told them this that they didn't have to pay to wrestle?
1: <laughs> it, they <laughs> did, and I was glad because they were all really good workers too. Uh, the first one I no, the first two I'm thinking of is um, Gemini Kid and Greg Regalado. Uh, Gemini Kid was a really charismatic babyface uh, who is now a district attorney up in um, Northern California City, who I'm sure doesn't want you to mention he was a wrestler. No, he does. He's very proud of it. He's a, oh. and he's involved with Danny Wolf in the roller derby revival up in uh, Northern oh, yeah. California in the oh, Bay Area. Um And I think he does. If I recall, I think he still does play by play with Danny Wolf.
2: Oh.
1: Very very knowledgeable, very bright guy. And then Greg Regalado. was a very talented in-ring worker who could have gone places, but I'm very glad he uh, chose not to. Uh, I haven't seen him in over 10 years, but I hear he's doing very well for himself, working a 9-to-5 job. Uh, I hate to think what would happen if he got into the business. He would have been good at it, but the business is the business.
2: Yeah, you want to... You don't want guys dying
1: young. Yes. Okay, another Steve Sims. I love this. This is like Twitter on our own email. Uh, Parata Morgan lost his eye in 1981 against El Jalisco in Guadalajara. Oh. I wonder if El Jalisco, you know what? I think El Jalisco is a guy I referred to earlier named Apollo Jalisco. Oh, it's not the same Jalisco from over here in L.A.? Wasn't there Jalisco? Yeah, person? that is that is Jalisco. He uh, Jalisco here in LA used to wrestle as Apollo Jalisco. Oh. I don't know why they put the Apollo in the name. He also wrestled as
2: okay, El Medico. It was,
1: it was copyright. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know how those Mexicans like to protect their name.
0: They don't like exactly. Copyright. They, they
2: don't like <laughs> they, they don't they take copyright infringement very seriously in Mexico. <laughs> Which, you know, it's always Isn't it just so funny when you see all those Like Batman and Wolverine And all those names
1: Or how about C-3PO? Yeah, there you go Yeah, that was a good one too In fact, there were two teams of R2-D2 and C-3PO Wrestling for different promotions And I remember they did an angle in one of the Lucha magazines Where they were going to do a mask versus mask But I think it was more a magazine angle Than a promotional angle Was was the C-3PO the one that Harley Wake shot on? Yeah, uh, I should say a- one of the 3POs. Oh, it was one of them? There were several th- C3POs.
2: I wonder who it was. I would like to know who he I, I would thought. be
1: curious too. He one of the C3POs wrestled here in Los Angeles for a short time. But he didn't do the robot gimmick where he wrestled like a robot. He just I know, that's that. They called him Robot C3 and he just kind of wrestled like a wrestler, which in all places uh, uh, where you wrestle just like a Regular wrestler. We're talking yeah, yeah. Los Angeles, home of the bionic wrestler and the monster.
2: You know, seriously, like, why don't they, these guys are going to... That's what I mean. If you're going to do a gimmick, do it right, you know? If you're gonna
1: exactly.
2: Do a robot, be like a robot. Don't, like, fucking do... Yes, stuff. exactly. I, I agree at 100%. You go kitschy. You go all out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm still disappointed with Lasertron promos. Uh, me too You know he didn't He sounded It was Hector Guerrero I mean it was like He didn't even try hiding it He should have been hiding it You know like
1: Yeah well in fact In San Bernardino That was another funny thing A little kid Ran up to Lasertron, Screaming Hector Hector <laughs> When he was coming to the ring And, that and God bless kid, Hector Guerrero he, he didn't act like an asshole He patted the kid on the head So That little kid Turned up to main event In Wrestlemania <laughs> That little kid Grew up to be David Hannum uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not David Hanna, um, uh, John Hanna. There were the the Hanna know. brothers were a bunch of pranksters, and John Hanna was, I think, about 10 or 11 at the time. And I think his brothers put him up to it, but I give Hector Guerrero all the credit in the world for going along with the joke. <laughs> I would have chopped the kid, you know. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, Steve says also says that the wrestler he asked Dr. Jerry Graham about was specifically Bob Backlund. <laughs> So, according well, to the late, great Dr. Jerry Graham, Bob Backlund was a whoremonger. Well,
2: you know, Bob Backlund, that's another guy that I just got mentioned on The Observer, too. <laughs> For being a, a really serious guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, somebody who took himself a little too seriously.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I remember there, I remember hearing about one night where Dr. Jerry Graham tried to get him to drink with him, and that was a shoot. Backlund did not drink.
2: <laughs> oh, God.
1: <laughs> and he kept on telling the doc, oh, no, sir, I don't drink. And he's like, ah, nah, champ, come on, it's good for you. <laughs> We're running out of time. We are
2: running out of time. The, the, the outro, or whatever it's called.
1: The, the, let's call it the outcast.
2: Yeah, the the final
1: 90 seconds where we start hearing the voices. That's right. We hear the voices in our heads and the voices in your heads. And I read the wisdom of Dr. Lucha Stevenson, who I want to thank for... Appearing uh, via email on our show, you rock! And let me plug www.standtheembryo.com. I am adding to this thing almost on a daily basis now. Know, it's nothing yeah. of much consequence, but Alfredo, more importantly, let's talk about Slam Jam Dam <laughs> Slam mean, Bam. God damn it! Damn it slam Bam
2: Jam.com.
1: What's your recommendation of the week from your DVD collection?
2: My recommendation is all 4,500 DVDs.
1: Buy them all. You've okay. heard it, ladies and gentlemen. It'll be the best investment you can ever make. Best like investment for Alfredo, that is. But make it. His wrestling DVDs rock.
2: And, and don't forget my Lucha website. Visit my Lucha website, luchaworld.com. Luchaworld.com. Where, where I might actually write something some at some point.
1: That would be awesome. And and while well, before we sign off, I also want to say it has been since January since I have got a comment on StandTheEmbryo.com that is not <laughs> spam. I've been getting spammed in and out. I am getting anal spammed day after day, but I haven't got a legit comment on my webpage since January. So if all of, any of you out there will put a real comment on my page, I will love you. in my mind you will go to their house bring Pimpanella along and you will be (laughs) here. that's right right. there you go you will get Vandal Pimpinella, and Elena all three of us (laughs) (laughs) the lucky Pierre trio (laughs) Uh, okay Kurt we gotta cut we gotta cut this short now we will see you (laughs) next week and I Alfredo as always does a great show I will not butcher the show like I did tonight I will do much better next week thank you ladies and gentlemen we'll try to format it better next time too Rockin', right? Talk to Rockin'. You guys next week. Bye. Okay. Take care, everybody, and remember: if you're going through Southern California and you see a white streak gliding across the sky, it is not a shooting star. It is a heavenly handful of Monsell's powder. Good night, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Good night, everyone.